0: What we see right now in the field is that there's lots of interesting reinforcement learning uh, results that come out of industry labs that have a lot of computational resources, and that makes it basically impossible for anyone outside, specifically in academia, to reproduce these results. And that was exactly the kind of motivation behind that environment, in that it's really complex, but at the same time should be affordable for
1: uh, you know grad students, master students, and whatnot to actually do experiments with. You're listening to Gradient Descent a show where we learn about making machine learning models work in the real world. I'm your host, Lucas Biewald. Tim is a research scientist at Facebook AI Research and a lecturer at the University College of London. Heinrich is a research engineer at Facebook AI Research and previously worked at DeepMind. Together, they built the NetHack Learning Environment, which is a super exciting project to make it easier for people to build and experiment with reinforcement learning algorithms. It also operates in a game called NetHack that I've played for the last three decades, and so I'm especially excited to talk to these guys. I had been thinking for a while, I was wondering how well reinforcement learning would work on the game NetHack, and then I came across your project and you were actually making an environment where people could try out different algorithms in NetHack. So maybe you could start by kind of telling me how you came to this idea as a learning environment and maybe describe what the game NetHack is. So NetHack is this
2: really old game that, grew out of an even older game in I think the the eighties or thereabouts. So it's as old as Unix basically. And it's this like text based game, Dungeons and Dragon style. The object is to go down a dungeon and retrieve a certain item and then go back up and like win. And that kind of undersells it because the actual like fun is in like interacting with all the monsters or like picking up objects and then there's loads of like in game jokes and it's also generally quite a hard game. So I've been playing NetHex since I was Quite young, I think about 12 and it was like some dust box where someone installed Netech and I didn't really like understand what to do. And then later on when I had the internet and there were some so-called spoilers, I, and I started being able to look at this actual source code of Netech. I started being able to like do more in the game. So it's, it's really easy to die in Netech. You don't have a second chance. Like you can save the game, but then it exits. And when you enter back, go back in, it's like, it's fixed up where you were. And it's a really hard and really fun game with a still active community. And it's text-based, but still pretty complex.
1: I feel like what's notable to me about NetHack is I've probably played it more than maybe any other game. And yet I'm still kind of surprised by things that happen in it. Like I I still find myself looking up like what's going on. And and like, it seems like people even will kind of come to like interesting ideas about how to use the objects in the game. And the game will actually have kind of supported these sort of one in a million Chance occurrences, so it seems like incredibly deep, like i don't even actually know how how deep it goes for how simple it looks at first yeah I fully agree I mean, so the
0: reason why we believe this is an interesting challenge for reinforcement learning is exactly that kind of death right it's as um, heine mentioned it's From the looks of it, it's a quite simple game in that it's a terminal-based, right? So everything is rendered as these ASCII characters in terminal. But in fact, it's so deep in terms of the number of items and the number of monsters that you have to learn to interact with. There's always new things to discover. And on top of that, it's procedurally generated. That means every time you enter the game, every time you enter the dungeon, it will be generated in front of you. And it will look different from any other episode that you have been playing before. So that gives it also a lot of, I guess, replayability. And it's much closer, I guess, in spirit to more modern games like Minecraft, right? Where also every time you play Minecraft, the world is generated. That poses very unique challenges to reinforcement learning because so far, uh, or for a long time, we have been mostly using Um, games like Atari games to test the limits of um, reinforcement learning agents and that has been going on for a while and has been good but at some point I think people started to realize that in Atari when you let's say play Breakout or you play even Montezuma's Revenge which is one of the hardest games in the um, arcade learning environment every time you play that game it's the same right I mean you can basically memorize Uh, sequences of actions through the game that lead you to win the game. And that's exactly what then approaches like Go Explore by Uber AI have been exploited to, to win the game. So I think it started roughly two, three years ago when people started to look into these procedurally generated games. I mean, Minecraft is one example but it's very expensive to render and expensive to simulate. But also, I guess, the obstacle tower challenge by Unity AI is another example of such a procedurally generated environment for reinforcement learning. And then more recently, OpenAI's ProcGen Benchmark is another example. So people are looking more and more for test beds where reinforcement learning agents really have to learn to generalize to novel situations, novel observations. And we believe NetHack is a perfect example for that because it's at the same time also really fast run and really deep, much deeper than than many of the 3D games that you could play right now.
1: I guess I never thought about this, but you know, I'm also a huge fan of the game Go. And that game also feels deep, but its depth seems to come from a lot of interactions with like a small number of rules, whereas I imagine the NetHack code base just having this massive nest of case statements like it's almost like the complexity is you know in, intrinsic to it. I, I wonder like what is it about? I mean, both Go and NetHack I think are kind of deep in the sense that they're kind of hard for people to to do well. But what is it about reinforcement algorithms that worked really well for Go and and like struggled to do basic things in the NetHack world?
0: Yeah, so Go is an really interesting case because the the depth and the complexity of Go comes from the fact that you're playing against another player, right? So we should, first of all, state that NetHack is a single player game, right? You play against the game, you're not playing against another human. Uh, And obviously, right, if you have a very strong human you play against, then that's a really hard game. But what makes this work for reinforcement learning is the fact that Go, as you mentioned, has very simple rules. So it's very clear for a specific action, how the next state will look like, right? Right. And that allows you to, to basically exploit planning me- mechanisms right that allow you to basically plan ahead think through what happens if somebody plays a specific move and then i play a specific move what will happen and it's still really hard because there's this humongous observation space and go already right because you have this 90 by 90 board and in, on every tile there could be a white white uh, mark or a black mark or on a white stone a white uh, black stone or no stone but in that hack it's it's fundamentally different in that the transition dynamics that govern how a state evolves from time step t to the next one, extremely complex. Because it is, first of all, it's partially observable. You don't see what's on the entire map, right? you There might be a monster around the corner, but it's, it's not visible to you. And on top of that, it's stochastic. So every time you hit a monster, just to give an example, right, there's a die roll in the back that determines really how much damage you incur. And pl- on top of that, There are so many possibilities in terms of what could actually be on the tile. So there's like hundreds, as I mentioned, hundreds of monsters, hundreds of items. Each of them come with all kinds of specific attributes and specific mechanisms that you have to learn about in order to do well. So it's really, really hard to plan ahead. It's also really hard over time to even learn about all of these mechanisms, right? Whereas in Go, you can write down the rules easily in a program and you can simulate them.
2: I think there's like another aspect of this comparison with with Go and with like MCDS like algorithms. The NetHack community actually has done loads of crazy things, like outside of like research and like published papers. There's a few like people in the NetHack community that, have, for instance, like there's this alt.org website where you have like officially recorded games. And what you could do in the previous version of NetTech is that you would have your, like your local NetHack on your own machine, and you would try out a few things, and whatever you like best, you would do that in the actual like online running game, right? Where well, you basically have this perfect simulator, which is Matic itself, and the only thing that like so, but Tim was saying that how how can that work right? It's it's it's, it's not deterministic. It's stochastic, right? So the the way people did that is that they hashed like had a a map from all starting positions of the game with like your inventory and so on to the seed of the RNG, pre-compute this in like a few days and hours of of compute, and then could look up the seed, like play the new see a new game, look at your inventory, and that's enough like entropy to tell you what seed you are in and then you know which seat which which seat you like initialize your local version and then you can actually beat the game in like no time right because you you have the perfect simulator. And then the NetHack like dev team produced a new version of NetHack that makes this impossible where you can no longer like manipulate the RNG state by walking against walls or whatever, the way that these people did it. But it's comparable in a way to how you would do it if you were just like to plain like MCTS nettech right? You, you save the game, and you try out what's happening, and then you will re- re- go back to the position where you really were. And you could probably beat NetHack that way pretty easily, but it, you would really only beat NetHack. You wouldn't like learn anything about reinforcement learning at, at large.
0: And it's also really clear that for the community and also for us, that would be considered cheating, right? I mean, yeah. really, you should be developing
1: agents that can, given a fresh game of NetHack, solve the game of NetHack. Yeah. Well, Actually, that's funny. Yeah, I think this... that would be impressed if. I mean, it's yes, like if you could see the random number generator and like forecast ahead, it would be much easier, but it still seems a little bit tricky, right? Like I feel like there's a fair amount of like long-range planning that you need to do, right? To I've actually never won the game, so I don't even know. But I feel like even if I could like see ahead, it might be hard for me to um, beat the game.
2: It's still going to be super hard for, for playing like learning from scratch reinforcement learning algorithm but what these guys did is that they you basically can get infinite wishes right there's a thing in nethack like in certain conditions situations there's a wish and then you can wish for any object and you can get it and if you can force the rng to always give you a wish and then you can get like infinite amounts of wishes and you can always like make this mini there's actually like when i played nethack when i was very young I did this thing called save scumming, which you're not supposed to do, where like you save the game, and then you copy the game file, the save file, and then when you die, you go back and you like go back to that point in time. And what you do with that, that like from a scientific perspective, is you force a really unlikely trajectory, right? Because all the games where you died, it you didn't like it, threw them out, and you go into this more and more unlikely space. And at mm-hmm. some point, you like you really like dodged all the bullets, but the game will just kill you like a thousand times per round because you re- you didn't really beat it. And I think this is what's likely to happen. What you will likely force when you like can force the RNG to be in a specific state. You you produce this extremely unlikely trajectories of the game.
1: When when you take like the sort of basic, you know, reinforcement algorithm from Go, or or just sort of like a, a vanilla reinforcement learning algorithm and you train it on NetHack, what, what happens? What does the character do? Yeah,
0: that that's a that's that's was like exactly the the thing that we wanted to see. I mean, first of all, you couldn't use MCDS from Go just because you don't have that environment transition model, right? You don't know what happens at the next time step, given the current time step in an action. Actually, wait, sorry, so I can't... need to
1: step even back one, one step further. What, what do you actually even optimize for when you... I mean, Go, it's so clear that you're trying to win, but I... I That's don't a think great it
0: question. It's a really great question, yes. So, so ideally, right, we want to have agents that can win NetHack, and the way to win NetHack is to ascend to Dimigodhead's by offering the Amulet of Yendo to your in-game daily but the problem is that that's a really sparse reward right that like (laughs) yeah it's like you have to solve it before you get any reward so that doesn't work then there's lots of techniques right now for providing agents with intrinsic motivation i mean that's what basically keeps people like you and me playing nethack although they haven't won nethack yet (laughs) we're just curious about you know finding new quirks and, and new interesting situations in nethack but what we basically did is we have an reinforcement agent that is trying to optimize for in-game score. And that comes with all kinds of caveats, actually, because you can try to maximize the in-game score by doing all kinds of things that are unrelated to um, actually winning the game. So, for instance, you get score for killing monsters, you get score for mm-hmm. descending deeper down into the dungeon, but that really doesn't help you to understand that at some point you have to go back up again, right? Just to give an example. Right. Also, people have been... When they're really good so meaning when they already you know know how to play nethack really well and they solve nethack they start to give themselves all kinds of interesting challenges and one is actually to solve nethack while minimizing the the, the, the score so you can also do that <laughs> so it's it's not really a a very good reward function in a sense mm-hmm. towards the goal of solving NetHack, hack but i think it's still a really good proxy for now in order to compare how well different models or different agents do so I think for now we're we're happy with that kind of setup mm-hmm. because we are still in a very early stage, or the community, I guess as a whole, is in a very early stage when it comes to like making progress on that hack. But I think eventually at some point we'll have to refine that a bit, and the you know winning
1: condition is actually winning the game. Got it. So you're optimizing for score.
0: You can
2: also optimize for like gold or dungeon depth of these things, but typically you do try to optimize for
1: score. And it's okay. So what happens when you when you put a vanilla agent in there? Yeah. So
0: what what happens uh, is is quite interesting. So first of all, we thought when we started this project that just a vanilla agent wouldn't really be doing anything in in that hack because it's it is just so complicated. Just learning to navigate in the first dungeon level to the next dungeon level is already hard because there are all kinds of situations where you are in a room where there might not be any doors and you have to walk around the walls to find a secret door, uh, which is which is actually quite tricky to learn. Then you might find doors, but they might be locked, and you if you don't have any key around, right? You have to actually kick in the door to to even make it to the next you know dungeon level. And we thought this is really hard for reinforcement agents to learn because there's no um, reward attached to um, kicking in a door. And and it actually it turns out that if you kick uh, a wall, you hurt yourself and you might die. So that actually gives you a negative reward, right? Or at least you know terminates the episode. But actually, what turns out, and this is really interesting is that if you train in these procedurally generated environments what happens is that occasionally there's an instance generated of this whole problem that is really simple like the staircase down might be just in a room next to you and it there might be a, the corridor might already be visible so from your starting position you might already see where the, the staircase down is so your agent even when just randomly exploring might just you know bump into that staircase down and go downstairs and get a reward so this is fascinating because it means with these procedurally generated environments, if you train for quite a number of, of episodes, there will be episodes generated that are quite simple and where the agent actually can learn to acquire certain skills to then make also progress on the harder ones. So this is one thing that we saw, mm-hmm. right? So our agents right now, just by optimizing for score, they average at a score of, I think, 750-ish, roughly, which is you know not bad if you are new to NetHack so if If I take a random you know computer scientist in a lab and I ask them to learn about NetHack and play NetHack, I think it takes them a good fair amount of time to to reach seven hundred fifty on average as a score. I think the maximum score we've seen so far is maybe something like four or five thousand. They descend down to dungeon level. On average, five or six-ish, but we also see individual agents sometimes, luckily, going down even dungeon level 15, and we see agents, you know, killing a lot of monsters on the way because that gives them immediate reward. We see them um, passing by landmarks like the Oracle or Mine Town, even. So that was actually quite surprising to us that the vanilla approach can already make quite um, steady progress on that hack. So, so yeah, that's quite encouraging, I think, for them building up other
1: extensions and, and more sophisticated models. Well, wow, so it's like a basic model learns that? You don't have to tweak it at all to, to get it to that level? Yeah, it's a very
0: straightforward model. Like it's, I mean, the only thing that we do is that we have basically a convolutional network that, you know, encodes the entire dungeon level that's visible so far. We have another convolutional network that's centered around a seven by seven crop of the agent. So that gives it basically some inductive bias that the things that are close to the agent are more important than let's say things that are very far apart. We have another feature representation based on the agent statistics. And then all of that is mapped down to a lower dimensional representation that's fed into a recurrent policy parameterized by an LSTM and then you get the the action distribution out of that. So it's it's really nothing fancy at this point.
2: Maybe we should mention that it also does some like bad things. Like like if you optimize for score for instance, it quickly notices that it has like this pad with it in the beginning, right? And the pet, if the pet kills an enemy, then or kills a monster, then you don't get the, the score. So what it learns in the like at some point of training, it tr- starts killing its own pet, which is like really bad, like you oh kick no, the cat so and, and the cat <laughs> growl. <laughs> but it will do that. And the interesting thing is like it starts, obviously playing random games. Then it starts killing the pet along the along training. Like, but then if you train for longer, it stops killing the pet, because it notices that killing the pet actually like makes an in-game netic DT like mad at you and bad things happen. So it will stop doing this uh, after a while. So that's that's kind of an interesting behavior. That's really interesting. Also, Also, I think we should mention that from what Tim says right now, you can kind of like, if you know the game of NetHack, you notice that we don't actually use all the inputs yet, right? So NetHack has like this... Status bar, like the the, and the, 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 score, the stats of like your, your strength and so on. It has the dungeon, it had, but it also has this message, and it has these little in-game windows that can pop up, like your inventory can pop up and other things can pop up. And that's actually a, like a research challenge of how to make use of all of this. And the other question is like, which actions do you actually? What, what's the action space, right? Like the human can also just play, press capital S and attack and save the game and exit. And we don't actually want our agents to be able to do that, right? So you cannot like give it like. Access to all like the full keyboard as it were. And typically what we do is like we restrict the action set.
1: And well, yeah, go will ahead. the agent know its own inventory? Like like could it pick up some food and eat it later? Kind of, yes, but we don't
2: have like a full solution for that yet. Because we would need to feed in that as a constant observation. And we we don't do that presently. It is it is hard to exclude the agent from doing this because different keys like K, J, like different keys on the keyboard mean different things in different situations of the game. And in some situations, if you enable the eat action, then you can eat some stuff, right? But maybe only those keys that you already enabled for the, for the game. That gets a little bit technical technically right now. But we our agents can eat certain things in the inventory, like if, if it has the right letter, but not other things, for instance.
0: Yeah, also I think maybe it's worth emphasizing that right now we've been spending most of our time just building that NetHack learning environment where you actually do have, if you want, you have access to the inventory observation. You can, if you want use the entire keyboard as your action space. So that's out there for everybody if they want to, to use, right? We hope that lots of researchers pick this up and come up with all kinds of interesting solutions that make progress on NetHack. On and then on top of that, we have this really basic agent implementation that, that we mentioned here, uh, released with that as well, so that people can piggyback on. But obviously there are lots of open research questions of like how to make best use of uh, all these observations that come from different modalities, as well as, really deal with this really large action space. One thing that I find super exciting is the fact that we as humans, right, we have all kinds of prior knowledge. Like when you play NetHack, although you've never heard about that game and you bump into a door and you have, let's say, 170 actions that you could apply, like trying to drink the door, right? Or <laughs> trying to sit on the door. You you just don't do that, Like right? You won't even try this yeah. out. You know, okay, I can try to open this, maybe if I have a key, or if I don't, well, oh there's also this kick action. So maybe let me try to kick in the door. So so this fact that we as humans are so amazing at using our prior knowledge, our world knowledge, our common sense knowledge to then really efficiently explore in these environments is absolutely fascinating to me. And that's why I, I also really like NAHAC as a test bed for artificial intelligence, because I think ultimately we should have agents that are capable of transferring such Domain knowledge from other sources to then be really efficient uh, in in these hard uh, simulated environments. Yeah.
2: Like in the there's a concept in netic community called source diving, where you look at the C's code of netic and like try to figure out how the game dynamics work. And ideally, our agent should be able to do that, right? Our agent should look at the source code and be able to figure out like how this game will behave, like generally in certain actions, and then just do the right thing. That would be like the perfect like research like agenda for netic.
0: I feel like on top of that, there's this really amazing community-created natural language research, which is the NetHack Wiki. So <laughs> almost everybody I know of who learned to play NetHack learned that by also looking up things on, on, on the NetHack Wiki. As you mentioned, right, you started playing NetHack when, when you didn't have any internet connection, so you couldn't look at any of these kind of spoilers. That makes it almost impossible, I think, to make progress in NetHack. And and even with the NetHack wiki, it's really hard. So people, you know, sometimes play NetHack for 20 years before they first win the game. But this kind of resource is amazing. It's like 3,000 Wikipedia pages of explaining, like, how certain entities, items, you know, monsters work. And I think one direction that's really exciting to me, and that's not really very different from what Heiner just described by, like, directly looking at the source code, but what if we had... Agents capable of encoding information in the in the NetHack wiki and using that to, for instance, explore more efficiently or avoid certain really stupid <laughs> stupid deaths and yeah, just generally you know using that prior domain knowledge to be much more sample efficient and, and generalize
1: better in in that. It's funny. It's like actually, I think it's a kind of a different game. Like I, you know, in prep for this interview, I started you know playing NetHack a little bit again, and I. I kind of couldn't believe that I tolerated this game without the internet. Like, it's just such a frustrating game with like such little guidance. And I was reading your your paper on reinforcement learning, where you're talking about building a system to optimize for learning or optimize—I forget how you put it—but like sort of optimize for modifying the state space of the the algorithm. And then and then I was thinking of my daughter, who's clearly doing that. So she's like nine months old, and I've just been watching her a lot, and she clearly explores her environment in a way that she's just totally focused on whatever is novel. And there's no question that that's like, she's completely wired to like, you know, if I show her a new toy, she loses it or anything that seems to defy her, like belief about the laws of physics, like blows her mind. So clearly she's doing that. And then I was wondering if, you know, maybe myself as a child, I was kind of more willing or kind of more enjoyed the, the exploratory mode is necessary for figuring out NetHack. <laughs> yeah, so so that's a perfect that's a that's a perfect
0: remark. So in fact, some of the research that we're doing is really centered around how can we design agents that are intrinsically motivated to learn in an environment. Because again, in NetHack, like any reward function that we come up with, it's not going to be great, right? The actual thing we want to optimize for is solving the game, and and there's just not any reward function I think that that really can guide an agent step by step towards that. And and I have two daughters and in fact my, my youngest daughter as well at some point was playing with a toy kitchen and she was just opening and closing the door, right? Opening closing the door. Until at some point she even squeezed her finger in the door. She was crying. It was <laughs> clearly something really bad, right? She was actually in pain. She was crying for a minute. And then she was continuing <laughs> closing opening the door until it became boring. So this this fact that, that we as humans are just setting ourselves goals when we are in an environment, right? We just, we, we get bored and then we we think of, oh, what happens if we try this or that? And then we see, can we actually control this? Are we empowered to to have com- control over what we want to do? Are we able to actually predict what's going to happen next? And if not, right, then maybe that's really interesting. Or maybe it's noise, right? Maybe it's just the environment being completely stochastic and uh, there's just nothing I can control. So how do we design agents that can do this as well. I think that's a question that's super exciting to me, uh, specifically in the context of NetHack, because it has this stochasticity, it has this this humongous, I guess, internal mechanism that governs the state transitions. So I think this will lead to lots of quite interesting research.
2: In a sense, NetHack is really like a hard case there, right? There's almost no human who plays NetHack like, unspoiled. Like, I mean, op- typically people don't have a good reason to do that because they need to find out about NetHack first. But a few people really like weren't like, for so situations, so situations were in the situation to like try NetHack without any spoilers and it takes decades, right? You die so many deaths and you don't even know what to do. Like you don't even know what the exact goal of the game is. The, the game that kind of tells you like if you like read enough like oracles, but there's also like wrong like there's a thing called rumors in the game where you can read up what you're supposed to do, but there's also wrong ones and if you're like unlucky you get the wrong one so it misleads you. So there's there's almost no way to find out what you how to even beat the game, let alone like get around all the obstacles if you don't spoil yourself. And we would like our computers to do that. But I want to mention another thing Like Tim was saying, there's no like reward that leads you to beating the game. That is true. But what there is, is like recorded games and like say like the NETIC community or like people can just, we could just look at what humans do and try to to imitate this, right? Have like all of us play NETIC, which we do in our lab a lot. And then like try to like train agent that predicts human actions and then go from there. That might be one option.
1: I was going to ask you about that, actually, because, you know, I remember the first version of the, the successful Go algorithm was trained on expert games. Have you tried to train an algorithm? I mean, if, I guess even on a an am, amateur NetHack player would probably, you could imagine that helps the algorithm learn some strategy, right? So we're definitely like we're definitely thinking about doing that. The problem is getting the
2: data, right? Just getting like a few games isn't enough for the, the methods that we have. We need like enormous amounts of data, and there's no easy way to produce it unless like we pay someone like to play NetHack all day, and even, even then you have to play for a long time. Now, interestingly, the NetHack community actually does have recorded games, say alt.org. But unfortunately, they basically only record the outcome of the game, like like a video stream that well, the game shows. They don't record the actions that were put in by the players. And that's a research question by itself, right? How to make use of this kind of data. But yeah, we, that's certainly something that we are thinking about.
1: Has anyone built a kind of a rule-based system that can beat NetHack? That seems like something someone would try at some point.
2: People tried, but I don't think they were super successful. And I'm not sure what the... I think there was one system that like maybe ascended in 10% of cases. Maybe Tim can, has like the details on that end.
0: Yeah, so if I vaguely remember, so there are cases of hard-coded bots that ascended prior versions of NetHack where they, as far as I remember, they use certain exploits in the game. There's something called putting farming where you can, I think, get a lot of items or whatnot, and then it makes the game much easier. But these um, exploits, they are not in there anymore in the most current versions of NetHack? So mm-hmm. all of these bots that have been handcrafted some some time ago, they won't work uh, right now. Also, I think ideally we want to have systems that are able to ascend, meaning win the game, with all kinds of character combinations. Right? I mean, you have different roles in NetHack, races, and gender, and 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 whatnot. Right. So like these bots, as far as I remember, were always quite specialized for one specific um, role in NetHack. But ideally, we want to have agents similar to humans that can, in fact, win the game with, with all kinds of starting conditions.
1: So could you maybe describe you know, your your paper that I, I sort of alluded to in a little more detail? I think this is an ICML paper, right? That on the exploration and, and reinforcement learning strategies and then and maybe sort of say what the results were?
0: I guess you're referring to the iClear paper. Oh, um, iClear, sorry. Yeah, yeah. anyways. Okay. So, yeah, so I think that, so first of all, that was a paper that we... That was not done on NetHack, so that was at a time where the NetHack learning environment didn't exist yet. This is a is a paper done by Roberta Religno. She's a PhD student at uh, New York University, and she was interning with us at Facebook Research in London. And she has been done a really good job at you know investigating the current limits of these intrinsic motivation mechanisms for reinforcement learning. So maybe just to, to give a bit more context, one really open challenge in reinforcement learning is how do you learn in environments where your reward that you get from the environment is extremely sparse, right? So reinforcement learning works amazingly if you get a very dense reward function. So that means in, in, in many steps in the episode, you actually get a reward from the environment. But if your reward only comes at the very end and your episode is quite long, then it's really hard to learn from that. And what people have been doing in the past, developing all kinds of mechanisms that provide the agent with reward that's not given by the environment, but that is basically given to the agent intrinsically. And one such thing could be, how well is the agent predicting the next time step given the current action, right? So that you could use that, right? You could use, if, you, if your agent makes a big prediction error in terms of given the current state and, and the next action, what the next state is going to be, then we are rewarding the agent. The problem with that is that there's this noisy TV problem where in your environment, there's some source of stochasticity, let's say a, a television that just shows white noise. right? So every uh, prediction that you make as an agent will be wrong because you can't predict what's going to be on the next uh, screen. So you just reward the agent continuously for that. And that means that kind of noisy TV be- becomes an attractor to the agent. So the agent will just stand in front of the noisy TV all day without actually exploring the environment. So what Roberta was was doing is she was building on top of work that is trying to predict or calculating an intrinsic reward based on the forward model, trying to predict the next state, but also given the representation of the next state and the representation of the current state, trying to predict the action that led to that next state. So that's an inverse model. And what she basically you know, figured out is how can we make sure that the agent's internal representation of the state is only encoding what the agent can actually control in the environment. So if there's a noisy TV and the agent over time learns that its actions don't have any effect on the TV and the noisy TV, then it would just ignore that source of stochasticity in terms of, or with regards to providing intrinsic motivation to the agent. And that led to, at the time, state of the art results on quite hard exploration problems in mini-grid. Mini-grid, again, being a grid world, uh, a bit like NetHack, but just, you know, Million orders of magnitude simpler, uh, but still really hard for, for contemporary reinforcement learning approaches.
1: Um, so so wait, that was so that paper. I'm not super familiar with the literature. So let me see if I understood it. Maybe I'll, I'll channel the audience here. <laughs> so it sounds like there's sort of a, a standard pattern of trying to actually go to environments where you can't predict what the next thing will happen. And I, yeah. I thought you were going to say it's like wanting to optimize for being able to predict the next the next step, but that's showing my supervised learning bias, right? Where you would probably want to optimize for good predictions, but you're actually like kind of trying to go to places where you can't predict the next step, which makes sense because that more learning would happen.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you should be basically, I uh, hope I get this right because it has been a time some time ago, but basically, you know, you should be, you should be rewarding yourself if you find novel mechanisms in the environment mm-hmm. that you can control or not can uh, yeah that you can control but you shouldn't right. be rewarding yourself for um, novel observations in the environment that you can't control right mm-hmm. because if there's a noisy tv you know you shouldn't be caring about that otherwise you'll be standing in front of that tv for for eternity so but yeah you're right there's always this kind of tension between you know learning the agent to get better at doing whatever it's doing in the environment so that will also lead to better forward predictions, but at the same time, also rewarding the agent whenever it it encounters a mechanism that it it can control, but that also leads to novel observations. Mm. Now, the problem is that another common approach is to actually count how often the agent observes a specific state. And Mm -hmm. that has been doing really well in, for instance, in these Atari games, where every time you play the game, it's the same. But in procedurally generated games like NetHack, that won't work, right? Because no, every step you, its just so incredibly unlikely that you will ever see the same state twice that counting them doesn't make any sense if you, you mm-hmm. So
2: basically, if you have a noisy TV and you can change a channel, we don't really know what to do with it yet.
1: Right. Do you? Yeah. Uh... <laughs>
2: <laughs> and honestly, that's how humans behave as well. So I think we're pretty close to, to AGI there.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. I mean, you, you allude to this a little bit in the paper, but I, I was thinking like, you know, some of the, the most joy I've felt is like in NetHack, I, I really remember when you realized that, you know, you, you have a throw option and mostly use that to throw weapons. And then, and it kind of guides you in that way, but you can actually throw food at animals and turn them into pets. And it's like this incredible joy of like realizing this like surprising thing that you can do. Like clearly there's a reward function, at least in my brain, of kind of discovering Something new, and and in your paper you kind of allude to some of this coming from like education literature or like early psychology literature. Did did you look at any of that when you were thinking about this? I mean, we have a
0: paper together with Josh Tenenbaum, who is I think really leading in in that area at MIT. I have to say, I'm not a I'm not very familiar with with that literature. I mean, that's that's the honest answer to that. Sure. Uh, but I think the the thing that you just mentioned, right, in terms of oh you you know that you can throw not just weapons, but you, you as a human, you know, you can also throw food around, right? You can throw anything basically around. And then realizing that actually in NetHack, the developers of NetHack, they thought of everything. Like you can actually throw food around. There was this revelation to me. I mean, I have to say, I'm not an expert NetHack player and our entire team, Heiner is the only one who actually ascended in NetHack. But so I had this revelation the other day where I was playing NetHack and then I was always like encountering graves uh, and I was like, okay, you, you go over this grave and you get like some interesting message that's engraved on the on the on, on the stone, right? And okay, fine. But what do I actually do with graves? I mean, they, they didn't they didn't seem to me any any use to it. And then the other day, I thought at some point what like, actually, you know, you, there are pickaxes in that hack. Like, what if I dig up <laughs> whatever's lying in that grave? And you know, there's actually something in that grave. There's items. There might be. I mean, there's definitely a corpse, but there might also be items in there. And and it was again like like for you, right? It was for me. So. Interesting to see that my kind of prior knowledge about the world also applied within NetHack, although it's this kind of terminal-based game. So that's again why I believe NetHack is such an amazing resource for
1: artificial intelligence research. Okay, so we've probably driven away anyone with any kind of practical mindset, but this is supposed to be for people you know, practicing machine learning for um, real-world applications. I mean, where do you where do you think reinforcement learning goes? Like, I feel like the knock on it right now is maybe that. It's really just for these kind of toy environments like Atari games and um Dota and, and NetHack. Like what is it being used for for things that we would experience now or is it on a path to being useful for things? Where where do you think the applications are?
0: Yeah, so first of all, I think it's not necessarily fair to say that the kind of research that's done in simulated environments is not with real-world applications in mind. So it's very funny in that, you know, NetHack is this really old game, so it feels like a step back, right, from more 3D, visually appealing games like Dota. But in fact, as we, I guess, discussed now, like NetHack has a lot of properties of how you also would try to solve tasks in the real world, right? If I try to fix my car engine and I have no idea how to do this, maybe I can look up the information on Wikipedia. I mean, probably it's not going to work, but, you know, we we, we are so good at... At you know using world knowledge common sense knowledge, and also acquiring a specific domain knowledge for solving tasks in the real world, so in some sense, I feel like NetHack is even a step forward towards actually making progress in real world tasks with reinforcement learning, also given the fact that it 's procedure generated, and every time the observation will look different, similarly in the real world right it's like again a count based approach won 't really help you that much because like you know the world will look different tomorrow. And at the same time, I think there's also more and more applications of reinforcement learning for the real world. So for instance, we um, published a, a workshop paper on using reinforcement learning for learning to control internet traffic. So there's these handcrafted heuristics that people have been developing for decades, TCP uh, protocols and whatnot, right, that, that govern how I'm going to, um, sorry, congestion control window approaches, right, that govern how, I can maximize my throughput in a in an internet network, right? How can I make sure that I can send as many packages as possible without losing too many packages because of congestion or the other participants in the internet network? And we we are developing approaches that allow us to train reinforcement agents to automatically learn what's a good policy in terms of you know sending out how many packets per second so that you know they maximize bandwidth. So they are they are definitely more and more applications of of reinforcement learning in real world, like also advertisement is, I think an example. Uh, So I think we'll see much more of that in the future.
2: Yeah, I think like computer systems, like operating systems and so on, they have like all kinds of inbuilt heuristics that are often good, but perhaps not optimal. And reinforcement learning is one way to try to optimize these things. There's all like, if you look at the Linux kernel, by the way, Looking at the NetHack source code is a great gateway drug to becoming a kernel developer. It's basically like a, a mini uh, Unix in there. But if you look at the Linux kernel there's all kind of heuristics and like constants and like wait times and so on. And potentially you could you could actually like not just hard code these things, but learn them on the fly. Of course, I, you will have a complex system if you do that, but and you may not want to do this at all times, but it's, it's certainly an option. And I think this is this is where the world is going. I wanted to wait one more comment about NetHack we, we compared that to Go earlier on, but I think the, the comparison I like more is like StarCraft, right? So StarCraft 2 has famously been like a challenge. And of course it's a multiplayer game, so it's different in that sense. But many of the challenges that StarCraft has are also NetTag, like, like big observation space, complex environment dynamics, big action space, and all these things that are technically hard. But on top of that, to actually like solve StarCraft, you have to use like, you basically use up the energy of like a small town, right? And to play NetTag. It's it's free really on the, it's really cheap and you can do this on your in your university lab on your home computer and so on. So that's that's for us one of the sales pitches for NetTech. It's as an reinforcement learning environment, NetTech is simple where it counts, but hard where, it, where you want it to be. So it's fast but hard. And often we have like the, the tricky spot in the, in these two quadrants. Often there's reinforcement learning environments that are complex but easy, right? So whereas everything is 3D and you know, it's finally rendered, but the actual policy you need to execute is like left, left, right, and you're done
1: and i guess what makes for a hard reinforcement learning challenge like it, it it seems to me like like having to sort of save some state to use a lot later seems seems to be challenging i mean what else what else makes or uh, do you have an intuition for like what even what games would be easy for it sounds like you do have a good intuition for what games would be easy for reinforcement learning and what games would be hard so i, I th- yeah so the
0: thing that you just mentioned that's one right long range dependencies how do you Memorize, or how do you remember that maybe on the first level of NetHack you dropped a certain item that you might need like much later or or whatnot, and and actually NetHack has these very long-range dependencies. NetHack is also like normal play of NetHack. If you succeed, is maybe on average 50 to 100,000 steps. There are expert players who can solve NetHack in 20,000 steps, but that's still an order of magnitude longer than, for instance, a a normal game of StarCraft II, which goes on for 15 minutes but has only a few actions per second so i think averages around 2000 steps so yeah long-range dependencies is one then the question of exploration so how easy is it for the reinforcement learning agent to discover what it can do in the environment how it can control things in the environment how often does it bump into reward another question i guess is you know do you have all the information that you uh, need to given in the environment itself in order to do well in the environment? Or do you have to have a really strong prior based on your, as I mentioned, common sense knowledge, world knowledge, or domain-specific mm-hmm. knowledge, right? If you have a very large action space, that's really problematic for current approaches. But we as humans do well because we prune away lots of that, that action space. Can you easily plan ahead right? Is your environment fully observable or is it only partially observable? And you have to actually infer what's going on in the hidden parts of the environment. So these
1: things make games or environments hard or easy for reinforcement. Yeah, it's funny, as you're talking, I I mean, did you guys notice how I tried to kind of steer this towards like general... Topics, but I I wasn't able to <laughs> just pointing that out. But <laughs> since since we're back in this net topic, have you thought about my other favorite game, Kerbal Space Program? Are you fans at all? Have you have you played this game?
0: I mean, I've I've seen that on, on Steam. <laughs> I haven't played it myself, but I think that's a really interesting example. I mean, I, again, as I mentioned, I haven't played this. I only watched the trailer. The fact that we as humans um, can build mental models, right of what should work and what shouldn't work, and then test them, right? I mean, that's, I guess, what you do in that game, right? You, you have an idea of, like, what might work out in terms of a rocket that can fly. You build it, then you see it fails, and then you make modifications. You have, again, you plan in your head what kind of modifications you want to make. You make them, and then you see again. Like, this kind of way of experimenting in an environment, I think that, that probably sounds quite interesting for, for a reinforcement challenge. That, that said, I haven't played it myself, and I would,
1: I'm pretty sure current approaches would struggle a lot. Can I ask you is there anything just like practically that changes when you're trying to train reinforcement learning algorithms if you're kind of used to more supervised learning algorithms like what what's different about that kind of training
2: I think there are some like engineering challenges to reinforcement learning basically reinforcement learning you can make it look like supervised learning but the data comes from like you generate the data yourself right as opposed to just reading like photos from disk, you, you, have, you generate the data yourself. And this is actually what modern reinforcement learning systems like say Impala or like various others do, they have this part of the system that produces the data and then a part of the system that learns on the data. And there's all kinds of like engineering challenges around this with asynchronous processes and like data communication and so on. But apart from that, we use PyTorch, we use standard tools. You have to have to compute typically the games run on the cpu so you have to have more cpu to, and while the reinforcement like the machine learning code runs on, on accelerators like gpus but once you have that in place it looks pretty similar and the output like the models look look familiar right they input a picture or like the game observation output a set probabilities of certain actions
0: yeah. So there's there's one uh, additional thing I would want to mention. And that also relates, I think, to weights and biases. And it's that in reinforcement learning, generally, your results are have much higher variance. So you can train an agent once and then you train it another time and the results might actually look quite different. So you have to be careful in terms of how reliable your results are when you only train based on one one run, basically, right? That makes it interesting in terms of how you should plot these results in publications, right? I mean, uh, ideally, you should be repeating your experiments multiple times, and you want to plot maybe the mean of the different runs, and you also want to indicate the variance to some extent. But I think in, in, in publications, we've seen all kinds of tricks of how people make results look better than they actually are.
1: I mean, how do you even think about reproducibility of reinforcement learning results if they're inherently stochastic? I think it's
0: fine as long as you make sure you train with different initializations of your model multiple times. And then that really comes down to a question of how expensive is it to run uh, the experiments, right? What we see right now in the field is that there's lots of interesting reinforcement learning uh, results that come out of industry labs that have a lot of computational resources, and that makes it basically impossible for anyone outside Specifically in academia to reproduce these results, and that was again, sorry to mention NetHack, but that was exactly the kind of motivation behind that environment. And that it's really complex, but at the same time, should be affordable for uh, you know grad students, uh, master students, and whatnot to actually do experiments with. You
1: yeah, hadn't thought about that. That's such a great point. That's that's. But still, actually, you you do need quite a lot of resources to even do NetHack, right? Like I, I was saying, you, you built some kind of system. Or you're using some kind of system to train in parallel, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, but you can run this on your on a single box with say two GPUs. Mm. So you'll just wait a little bit longer. But we, we don't like for Net-Tech, we don't currently use like hundreds of GPUs in parallel. We could do that, but the we haven't just haven't invested in the engineering like hours to do that properly. But you can actually run this at home. You can. I mean, you could even run this on your MacBook if you wanted to wait it long enough and like make it look a little bit hot. But you can. You can <laughs> depends on depends on what kind of neural networks we would apply to attack. But it's actually something you can do at home.
0: Yeah. And actually, yeah. And I think you. I mean, you even can do this really well with just one GPU. I think we have our implementation of uh, our agents is based on. Torchbeast, which again is based on Impala, and we have two versions of that. One is training based on one GPU. We have one that's training using two GPUs. I mean, just with one GPU,
1: you can do experiments. You can write papers on Niagara with one GPU. I'm on quite certain of that. Cool. And and it's basically just playing the game over and over and over, and then updating updating the model.
2: Yeah, we have this line in our paper where it mentioned how many agents died in, in the process, and it's a large number, right? We're talking about. <laughs> More games, like probably our algorithm by now has played by far more games than the rest of mankind combined.
1: <laughs> have they really not found any flaw in NetHack to exploit? It's kind of amazing to me that there's not some tricky way that you can live forever or something.
2: Well, our agents actually haven't explored that large part of the game yet. We 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 are really at the beginning of, of the of the research here, and I'm sure there will be like so previous the, people have tried what is called test tool automated uh, speed runs with NetHack and have found exploits like some of the ones that Tim mentioned, putting farming and so on. But the dev team, NetHack, that kind of like keeps track of that and removes these things one by one from the, from the game. So so NetHack by now is pretty resilient against these kind of exploits. Mm-hmm.
1: Are you in communication with the NetHack dev team?
2: We, we did reach out to them at some point, yes, and they, they were very kind.
1: That's
2: great.
0: So NetHack has been under development for, for over 30 years, right? So there's been a lot of, as Heiner mentioned, there's been a lot of effort in, in kind of removing all of these kind of exploits.
1: Right, 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 right. Okay, sorry. One more, just really in the weeds. Question: Does the does the agent have a preference? Like in Nethack, you can kind of go down the normal levels where you meet the Oracle and stuff, or you can go down to that like mine town. Does the agent kind of learn that one path is safer than the other? I always kind of wonder which which I should go to first. That's a it's
0: a great question. That's exactly the kind of high level planning that our agents right now are not capable of. So it's basically by chance. So sometimes they just follow the main dungeon the Oracle. They even you know, get to the big room or even further down and then at some point die or they go into mine town and at some point <laughs> die. We haven't really seen agents being strategic about first making some progress in the main dungeons and then going back up to the to the fork to then go down the <laughs> mine town to, you know, get items and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, that's really one of the next, I think, milestones that we should get to. It's also
2: it's also because our agents have a really hard time remembering things long term, right? So they basically, our agents look like, like on the first order of transformation, our agents Optimize the current situation without mm. any regard for the for the past. So going down mine town, like like if you go like down any stair and you happen to like enter the knowledge mines, which is like the special dungeon branch in NetHack, the logical thing to, for you to do is like to kill the monsters in the in the vicinity, not to go back up where you just where you were and where you already killed things. So if you optimize for like really short term things, that's that's how you end up playing and that's what our agents do. That said, we have seen our agents go back upstairs and we're not quite sure if this is just like random chance or if this is something where it got like incentivized to like not play certain levels, huh. but but that's where we are.
1: All right. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to play with your, <laughs> I'm even more excited to play with um, with your NetHack dev environment. I, I really want to give this a, a run myself. We always end with these two questions. I kind of wonder how they'll work in, in uh, this format, but do you have any kind of underrated aspect of reinforcement learning or machine learning that you think people should pay more attention to than they are right now?
0: Yeah. Have think... You mentioned really fast environments. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I, I think on top of that, in my view, people should be looking more into causality. I mean it's something that I'm not very familiar with, but I think in terms of making progress as a community, we should be looking more into causal models because essentially that's also what you are learning when you're playing NetHack over and over again, at some point you have some mental causal model in mind. If I do this, then that happens. Or at least with some probability, something happens, right? And I think that's the only reasonable way we can go forward in terms of agents that really can systematically generalize to novel situations, right? You have to have that kind of abstract mental model in, in mind that you use for planning and for exploration and, and so on.
2: One thing that I... That... Bugs me a bit about the research and machine learning at large is that we make these artificial di- distinctions between like this is engineering and uh, this is research. Where like if you want to fly to the moon, is that is that, like, is that research or is it engineering? It's it's kind of both, right? And I think there's in particular it's especially true in, in reinforcement learning, mm-hmm. where the breakthroughs that we saw recently came to a large extent from engineering breakthroughs.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and that's actually a good segue to the last question that we always ask, which is we usually frame it what's the biggest challenge of machine learning in the real world but I think maybe for you too I'd be curious what are the surprising engineering challenges of making reinforcement learning work that you wouldn't necessarily know as like you know a grad student doing your first toy reinforcement learning project
2: I think I mean maybe we should make this clear right what we do when you train reinforcement learning agents in like modern approaches is we have like dozens or hundreds of copies of the game running simultaneously played by the same agent and then Something need to ing- needs to to ingest all of this information. So I'm not sure if this is if people are aware this is this is how it is. It, like people used to think of like this is the world and this is my agent and my agent interacts with the world and there's only one world obviously. But things are just so much faster if you have like a batch of worlds and you interact with a batch of experience. Of although that is kind of like bad news for all the like comparisons to like how humans learn and, and like how real biological systems work.
0: Yeah, I think on on top of that, I would encourage people to Really, look at what these agents or what generally your machine learning model is actually doing on the data um so it's I think quite easy to try to chase some leaderboard numbers or try to chase you know better scores on that hack without actually understanding what your agent is capable of or not capable of, and how that you know informs your modeling choices, modeling decisions and and generally your your research or engineering work
1: going forward and so one final question mainly for Heinrich, I think so for Someone like me who's been playing the game for playing NetHack for almost three decades and it never ascended. Do you have any any tips on how to improve my NetHack skills? I, I
2: think there's this one game, one point in NetHack where where you ask this specific, special shopkeeper, like in in Town, and it tells you to slow down, think about it. You have as much time as you want to do any action. Like NetHack is turn based, right? So I think this is the best approach. Think clearly. But it's really like not human, right? Where you see this like big dragon, back bad dragon, and you want to run away from it, but there's no need for like speed in that sense in that thing. Just thinking clearly about every step is, is the
1: best approach. Yeah, it's so hard to do.
2: And read the spoilers.
1: <laughs> awesome, thanks so much guys, that was super fun. Thank you. Yeah, likewise, thanks so much for the invitation. Doing these interviews are a lot of fun. And the thing that I really want from these interviews is more people get to listen to them. And the easy way to get more people to listen to them is to give us a review that other people can see. So if you enjoyed this and you want to help us out a little bit, I would absolutely love it if you gave us a review. Thanks.